Amen, brother. Good morning, everyone. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. How God works when life doesn't. Sometimes we we are afraid to articulate the things that are actually in our minds. But very often, if we were asked to say what we were thinking, we're saying it it just doesn't seem to be working. Life doesn't seem to be working as it should right now. And therefore, there is some of that concepts that are in there here for our meditation. As we are going through the life of Joseph, how God works when life doesn't. Today we have a particular section from a prison to a palace. You know, we, we would say that life is working better in the palace than in the prison. Let us see what God has for us as we continue to look into the life of Joseph. By God's grace, have application to our lives, but also have a knowledge of who God is. We have two goals here today. Primarily is for some application specifically in the trials and then for a deeper knowledge of how this points to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Follow along with me. We have a bit to read, but it'll be healthy for us to read the entire chapter. Chapter 41 in Genesis, the first book in the Bible. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood up by the other cows on a bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep again, and he dreamed a second time. And behold, seven years of grain, plump and good, were growing up on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke. And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. 
Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. And then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing up on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was none who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years, and the dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will rise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. And set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all of the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people, shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bowed the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paneah. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. 
So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt. And he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the fear, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph, to buy grain. Because the famine was severe over all the earth. Jonathan, as I'm reading that, I'm thinking that we should do the song, He'll Never Let Go, as again at the end, maybe before. It's just uh, kind of hitting me. It was such a good song. Let's do that again. May God bless the reading of his word. There's a lot there, and there's a lot in the miracle, and there's a lot that Joseph is interpreting the dream and what's happening with all the specific interpretations of the dreams. But we're going to kind of condense it for ourselves. We're gonna, we're gonna, we see what, that, what happened there. We, we read it, but we're going to focus a bit on Joseph and in Joseph's life. And in our first section here, the exaltation and the humiliation of Joseph. Obviously, we're starting with the humiliation. And maybe we have a little bit of a recap because when we just start here, it starts in verse 41. And Peter just hinted into it last week a little bit. And after two whole years, after two whole years, but even that two years is the end of what we're talking about. What happened? Maybe a brief recap in Joseph's life. Joseph was a young man. Early in his life, his beloved mother died, passed away. So he's sitting now here, a young man without a mother. He's got a father. He's got many brothers. He's busy. He's the apple of his father's eye. And he's got some brothers here. He's 17 years old, and he's sent out by his father to go check on the brothers. Gets to go see his older brothers, maybe a little bit of a special time. Maybe he'll get accepted by them a little. Maybe he'll get to be with his older brothers. Most younger brothers love to be with the older brothers, especially when they're out doing something. And dad sent me on a little trip, and here I go. And these brothers, you got no mother right here. Your brothers, and what do the brothers do? They want to kill him, but they hold back 
and they send him into slavery. They take a young brother. Anybody know how old he was? 17 years old. He's a teenager. He experiences being sold into slavery. Set in a slave cart, put away. He's bought and paid for like an animal. And he's put into service in a Potiphar's house. Instead of slumping and instead of being uh, negative in his life, he, he applies himself to whatever God put in front of him. And he becomes a dutiful servant. He takes over all the house. He's put in charge, similar to what we read today. He's a young, strapping young man, working hard, good spirit about him, to be trusted implicitly, doing the best that he can, being sold into slavery, moved on. He is tempted by the wife of his master. Sorely tempted, if you will, for any young man. He's able to hold back, and instead of getting a little praise, good job, way to go, he is now falsely accused. Because when some people come after us, when they came after Joseph, and you don't go their way, now you're not in their sin, now you stop their sin, and it all becomes about them. Well, wait a minute, either I'm going down here, or I'm transferring the blame. He started it. He did it. Not only now has he lost his mother, not only have his brothers completely rejected him, not only has he not seen his father, not only is his good name, it's hard to bring a good name when you're a slave, but he is creating a name, that the name of Joseph is a name to be trusted, a name to have some worth, a name you can rely on, and now the only thing he had left was his name and his reputation is destroyed as one who went after this woman. So now, from being sold into slavery, from being a servant, now he's accused wrongfully. Didn't do it. Did not do it. He's going to jail. Now he's going to jail. Like, Lord, how much worse can it get? Now I'm in my mid-20s and now I'm going to jail. Goes to jail. And what does he do in jail? He starts sweeping the floor. He starts helping. He starts helping with the prisoners, help the captain of the guard. What can I do to help? He's not sulking again. Oh, who knows? Maybe in a moment or two, but we know the predominant nature of his character. God brought him up to, again, he was put in charge. Most of us don't want to be put in charge of the jail. If we're inside the jail, it's one thing to have a profession and be the captain of the guard. It's another thing to be a prisoner in charge of the prisoners. It's not really what we're looking for, right? Hey, sign me up. I'd like to be a prisoner in charge of the prisoners. That's my goal. No. But he was put in charge again, helping people. He's in a situation where these other two come in, some of Pharaoh's own court. We got the chief cupbearer, we got the baker. Pharaoh had some issues, so he sends them in. They've got issues, they got a dream. What could a Pharaoh send them in? What could have happened? You may not want to mess with one of Pharaoh's own. You're a prisoner yourself. You got your own worries. You may never be getting out of here. You may never see your family. All the things, all the dreams, remember the dreams he had as a teenager? All the hopes, all the aspirations, they're gone. If you look at your circumstances, they're gone. And here comes the cupbearer, here comes the baker, I've had a dream. But Joseph helps them. 
If he has the ability to help, he helps. So he helps him and he interprets the dream. The one he says, you're going to get restored. Cupbearer, you're going to get restored. Baker, I got bad news. It's God's news. I'm just interpreting. It's God's news. You're you're done. And so it happened. Cupbearer says, if I ever go back to Pharaoh's court, if I ever go back to Pharaoh's court, if what you tell me is true, if what you tell me is true and I'm going to be restored, the first thing I'm going to do, I will not forget you, Joseph. I will not forget you, Joseph. Look at how you act. Look at how everybody trusts you. The captain of the guard turns everything over to you. God is speaking through you. You're able to interpret. I will not forget you. You can count on that. Verse one, and two whole years later. Could you imagine those two years? Those two years. He just recently celebrated a birthday. It was very, very special. Joseph celebrated his 30th birthday in those two years. His 30th birthday in prison, alone and rejected by even maybe the last person that could help him. Did Joseph have it rough? Nod your head if you think yes or no. Let me just see what the church thinks. Overwhelming nodding of the head, yes. He had it rough. But if you're at all like me, the reason I took a little time is because we tend to go over these things. We tend to go over them and we say, yeah, 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 Joseph had it rough. Oh, but oh, look what happens to Joseph and Joseph this and Joseph in the palace. And we sometimes forget how rough he had it. And now we're going to apply it maybe historically by God's grace and maybe by the inspiration of his spirit, let's apply it a little bit today. Let's just think what that might look like to somebody, somebody we might know, somebody that, all, that we can hear these kind of stories. Maybe bits and pieces of it may apply to some of us. How many here, I know many, have went and visited an orphanage and went to help children that have lost their mother or lost their father, been left alone, These children that maybe come to faith. After this trauma in their life, they actually come to faith. Maybe even as young teenagers. They may even progress and they move on. Think of a young woman. She actually overcomes these issues maybe and gets married. Has children. How many of us know women that they come home one day and the husbands have abandoned them? Nothing. Money out of the bank is gone. They're gone. No discussion, no turning up. Mother does her best, tries to keep the children together, works hard, tries to have faith in her God. But this angry, bitter man who left decides that it doesn't look like she's hurt enough yet. Maybe he's got some bitterness. You know, I'm going to come out and I'm going to accuse her of things because I'm going to want to take the children away. Because he's got some friends in high places and got some access to people, accused of some things, takes the children away from the mother. More pain. He said, Lord, what's happening? Mother's got to get a job, goes, gets a job. This is, let's say, 2013 here. Now I got to go find work. I got to provide even more. There's nothing left. Goes to work, works very, very hard provides everything she can, looked at as one of the best workers, but she has a crooked boss. 
And she finds out she has a crooked boss and he is cooking the books and he's stealing money. And she's the one, he knows that she was the one in her diligence that found it out. Guess what? He's not taking the fall. He can figure this out. He's gonna blame her. Now, all of her best effort, she's in jail for stealing, wrongfully accused. It can happen. I know parts of those stories, people get sick, other issues. Most of that, I know people like that. Met some people in my profession like that. Life can get very, very difficult. The trials that God allows for his believers happen. Not only do they happen once in a while, many of the trials, here's a takeaway for us, the trials of the anointed will come. They will come. They'll come in many shapes and forms, not always to that extreme, but to the level they come in your and my life, they will feel extremely severe. And the only time they will be less severe is when the deeper one comes. You know, I was with a trainer one time and I, I was able to like lift a certain number of weights and I finally said, all right, I finally got this. And guess what the trainer did? Put a bu- bunch of heavier ones on the end and I'll, Ugh! this was heavier than when I started six months ago. Joseph's life went deeper. The trials even got harder. The time was extreme. And we will often cry out, Lord, where are you? I want you to give a promise here. One of the takeaways we can get is that God's trials in our life, the humiliations that come are always for a time. And if you want something that's encouraging, this isn't the God's truth is always encouraging. It is always for a time. It is never forever. It's very hard to use the words always and never correctly. It's very hard to do. This is one of those times. It is always for a time. It is never forever. Even if the time is for this entire life till our death, that is a short span of time because the exaltation, the trial will be removed and the exaltation will come when we inherit our eternal reward. If we have to suffer this way, It is very, very difficult if we do not believe that there is a purpose. I would argue that if we felt we had to suffer this way and didn't have a faith in God's purpose and God's plan specifically for me in this trial, it would be near unbearable. We know by all the evidences of Joseph's words and what was recorded for us in the canon of scripture that he did not lose his faith. That when he even spoke at the end here, what was the words we saw? When Pharaoh called him out, he said, I hear you can interpret. He said, God will interpret the dream. His first words to Pharaoh were, God will do it. When he was speaking to the chief cupbearer, to the baker, he said, God will do it. In his trials, in the overcoming pain, he knew that God was there and God was working and that God was working through him. I do not doubt that he remembered his initial visions, that God had this plan for him, this big plan, some of the plans that really offended his brothers when he shared them. 
he had a faith. Friends, when we go through trials, when they seem like the waters are deep, when it's a little too heavy, if we get to the place, if Satan can help pull us away and tempt us, that we sit there and we say, I have no idea. And I'm even starting to wonder, does God have a purpose in this? We are going down a very, very dangerous road. The trial can be as severe. We can cry out to the Lord for help. We can cry out for mercy. But remember that in every trial, it is never forever, and he has a plan. He has a purpose for us. We are so fortunate. We can look back through all of Scripture. We're not going to read chapter 42 and chapter 43. Basically, the rest of Genesis ends with the story of Joseph. It goes all the way to the end. And there is some amazing, cool stuff. We're going to see a glimpse of it today. But remember it. And if I, the thing that the Lord hit me with so hard all week as I was putting some time into this was that we can believe. We can. We can believe that God has a purpose. If I asked you all right now to say, when you have trials, can you emotionally and intellectually believe that God has a purpose in this plan? All right, let's just do it. How many of you, raise your hands if you believe that when you have trials, that God has a purpose in it? Just generically, if I asked you that, you'd say amen. What you struggle with, what I struggle with, is we don't like the method and we don't like the length of time. Big smiles, right? I got that you got a purpose. I'm all about the purpose, Lord. Something good is going to come with this. It's going to be great. I, I, I don't know how, but I, I can trust that. But it's been eight hours, and I'm about done. <laughs> and the method, by the way, how can I be falsely accused? After everything I've tried to do, they're putting to me sin that I didn't do? At least put to me the sin I did do. I've done plenty of that. Why, how, why, the one I didn't do? And then the people I turned to for help, they're the ones that abandoned me? I'm all about the purpose, Lord, but I think you got your method a little off, and it's been a little long. Have you forgotten me? We're going to need to focus just a little bit that God's method is never wrong. And his timing is literally perfect. It's the method and the timing that we struggle with. What did Joseph continue to do? He continued to trust in God and wait on the Lord. I wanted to take us just to some of my favorite verses. If you want to turn with me to Proverbs, many of you can quote this one, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Because part of our Remember one of our goals here today is have learn a little application from Joseph's life. He would have had to have done this for him to be able to use the words that are recorded for us. And we believe that they're recorded as truth through the spirit for us. In Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I mean, we could, we could extrapolate from here an entire message easily. Trust in the Lord. How? With all your heart. It's going to be difficult. Not with half your heart. Not generically, Lord. I'm into your purposes. I, I can believe in your purposes. It's saying trust completely. Trust in the method. Trust in the trial that doesn't seem right or fair and you don't understand how can this be good. 
Trust in the timing. How can this long? Lord, I am experiencing my 30th birthday in prison. It's been 13 years of a continual spiral downward, if you will. I am starting to lose trust in your timing. Abraham, Isaac, all of them had the issues of timing. We today have issues of timing, and I would submit that we have it worse in, an, in a society that is about this fast for everything, right? This fast. When God's timing is extended, how is our patience? How do we do with extended trials? Could use a little work, right? It's okay. God is going to leave us there. He's going to let us simmer and saute in that until we're just perfectly well done. He's going to help us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all our ways, in every issue, in every trial, acknowledge him and he shall make our path straight. Meaning he will accomplish his purpose. There's a purpose there. There is a straight path and he will take us there. And he will do it. Isn't that good news? Can we get an amen on that? That's a good place for an amen. Thank you. We know about his timing. Joseph learned to wait on the Lord. There's a couple things here I need to just, just throw out there. These are the kind of things that make us go, hmm, you know, we maybe think about him a little bit. Joseph was a pretty, uh, he's a pretty good strategist, right? Pretty good thinker, could, could kind of plan ahead. Obviously had a lot of gifts, right? Administrative gifts and talent. So think about how we know some things about Joseph. So Joseph, when he was head of Potiphar's house, he had a bit of free reign there, right? Who was in charge? He was. Just, just throwing this out there. This is, this is not truth speaking. This is just us thinking. You know, we're not going to make doctrine out of this. Do you think he could have created or managed a way to get back to his brothers? Since he was in charge of everything, could he have maybe got some food, maybe got a horse? And since he wasn't being watched and guarded a whole time, he was in charge. Do you think maybe he could have found a way to get back to his brothers? I think so. He wasn't shackled there. Why did he not go? Because he was trusting in the Lord. And he was waiting on the Lord are at least one major answer. Oh, God may have some layers on the answers, but he was waiting on the Lord. It continues that way. Just jumping ahead a bit. At the end of the story, we start getting to the end of Genesis 41. He gets elevated, right? He's second in charge of the, all, the entire kingdom. Second in charge. Nothing happens without Joseph's approval. What do we know? He gets married, he has kids, Manasseh and Ephraim, cousins for others, all kinds of cousins sitting over there with Judah and Simeon and everyone else. Many years goes by. We have the years of, the, the seven years of great plenty. He gets married, has kids. In all of that time, being second in command, do you think he might have said, you know what, it's a good time for me to reconcile with my family. Why don't we go get them? I know exactly where they're at. <laughs> I live there. Why don't we go get them and bring them over here? Why not? Well, at least we know one of the reasons is he was waiting on the Lord. Even when he had the power, we tend to mistake it. I'll wait on the Lord as long as I don't have the power, as long as I don't have the means. But the minute I have the means and the minute I have the power, I'm going. I'm making it happen. If my cell phone's dead, I'm going to make, as soon as that battery's charged, I'm making that call. I'm making it happen. 
I'm not making a case here for sitting idly by. I'm making a case for sitting under God's trial and learning wisdom. We learned in our early Bible studies that it says in James, we need to ask wisdom for the Lord in our trials and how to execute in them. I believe that Joseph learned to wait on the Lord. You know what? Just for, uh, just for fun, Psalm 27. Yeah, this is fun. 27, 13, and 14. A couple verses that we can just apply to our hearts and mind on waiting. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There's a wonderful other verse in Isaiah 40. Talking all about Isaiah 40, talking about how we can faint and, and we run out of strength. But verse 31 is a great encourager. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who? But they who wait for the Lord. Friends, we need to learn. It's a difficult thing for us to learn to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Our Christian patience, God's timing is perfect. He always has a perfect purpose and his methods are right on. Ask God for grace. Joseph, I believe, needed God's grace to help him not get too low, not get too depressed in his time of humiliation. We need God's grace to hold us up. We need God's grace. We need to pray fervently for him to give us the ability to persevere, to trust in his timing, to trust in his method. That's part of our application. Just jumping ahead briefly, when he was exalted to second in the land, it is the exact same grace that we need to not let it go to our heads, to not let to run ahead of God, to not manufacture what we do and think, now, finally, you see what I've done. You see, I put all these people in charge. I did all of this. The same grace that God, we need from God to not let us go too low, to prop us up when it's underneath us, if you will. When God gives us all the things, we need God's grace as a ceiling. Time we need it as a floor. There are times we need God's grace as a ceiling to hold us down just to where we need to be with him and not ahead of him. Same grace of God that holds us and performs us. So what happened? You know, we, he went from a prison to a palace. Jump ahead with me. Let's go to 41. We're going to jump ahead to 37. Verse 37 and on. It's pretty amazing what happens to him. He goes quickly. He gets called out after these two whole years. It's a long time. He gets called out. Pharaoh, he interprets the dreams. We saw that. He extended. He interprets the dreams. And right then and there, Pharaoh says, you're number two in the kingdom. So as crazy as going from, you know, being one of Jacob's sons, one of the favorite, and being sold into slavery, being into a, a, a Potiphar's house, going into jail, completely being abandoned in jail, sitting there on your 30th birthday, that, that's, a, that's a crazy story. I mean, that, that's like ridiculous. The same ridiculousness is like that fast God turns it around. God was able and willing the entire time for his purposes. But when the time was right, God can turn it completely. And it didn't like, well, now he had a career and if he did things diligently over the net, by the time he's 65 years old, maybe he can be in Pharaoh's court. I mean, it was now. 
in Egypt. Think about it. A Hebrew slave in Egypt is going to be second in charge. Can God do anything he wants? Can you get an amen? That's another really good spot for amen. He can do anything he wants, and he will do it when it suits his purposes. He hasn't forgotten about us in jail, and if he needs to put a second in charge in the land of Egypt as a Hebrew slave with a bad reputation, he will do it. So whether we're in Akron or in Texas, he will do it. Whatever he needs from us, he will do. So he's elevated, he's brought up, and God restores to the level of, we're going to get into this in just a minute, to the level of when they went before Joseph, they said, bow your knee. Everyone, bow down. Does that remind you of his dream? God will accomplish his purposes. Friends, we've taken some time here. We've done some application. We've talked about, you know, it's the method that we struggle with. It's the timing. We can kind of believe in the purposes, but sometimes even that gets lost. We've got to focus that God has his purposes. If we left it right here, I think we've done ourselves a disservice. Because you're a smart group and you're very capable, I think you're looking into the word. We're going to take a few extra minutes and see what is behind this. God is not just looking for us to have application. That would be a very good thing understanding and applying this to our life. The great thing would be understanding how this applies to Christ and how God is doing this in our life. It's a very, very important thing for the application, but it's the ultimate thing to see how God is pointing and he's foreshadowing Jesus Christ in all of this. The entire Old Testament is the story of Jesus Christ. It is the beginning, the early revelation of Jesus Christ of our Lord and Savior. It is just not random stories of people like Moses and Joseph, et cetera, et cetera. It is God's revelation of his coming Messiah. And his second testament is the story of the Messiah, his death and resurrection, and his church and his spirit from that end going forward and the culmination of all things. We sometimes think that the New Testament is about Jesus, the Old Testament is about the law and the Hebrews. It is about Jesus Christ using many various means, diverse methods to explain to us who Jesus is. It is by no accident that God has the stories of Noah and Abel and Moses later and David and arguably the one who foreshadows and typifies Christ to such an extreme level, Joseph. I'm gonna give you briefly, I promise, briefly, because we do not have time I'm going to give you 11 brief examples of how Joseph, in this time, in his life, in what is happening, is foreshadowing and pointing to Jesus Christ. God is ultimately teaching. And why is he doing this? He does it over and over and over. He does it with a flashlight. He does it different ways. So that when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes, that we'll say that is familiar It is congruent. It is completely in line with what you've been showing. Now that we see and we look back, we can see how you were pointing here with Moses. We can see how you were pointing here with Joseph. And we can testify and we can see the prophetic word and the illumination of it. So if you're taking notes, these are interesting. If not, 
you know, maybe you have a better memory than I and some items that will go here. And we'll just, by God's grace and asking for his spirit to implant this in our hearts so we have a greater understanding, a firmer conviction that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the story of the entire Bible. His new name. You know, we talked about Jesus' given name and he became the Christ, the anointed one. A given name and a name, the common name or son of man. We have Joseph, but we have Zephaniah. The Egyptian name meaning the revealer of secrets. Clearly he revealed secrets because God was able to say truth that Joseph was able to reveal. He was able to interpret dreams. He was able to tell the future. He was able to say what God's will is and what will happen. He was a revealer of secrets. The same as Jesus. Jesus had the knowledge, the same knowledge of God and he was able to reveal God's plan. He says, I am here to speak the word of the Lord. I am come, if you will, as a messenger for God to this people, and I am revealing the secret things of God. But what else did he reveal? Ultimately, Joseph is going to reveal the sin of his brothers. Because Joseph is still alive and Joseph is following God's will, eventually the sin of the people, the sin of Israel is going to be revealed. Eventually when it comes out, I'm still alive, it's going to come back to the Father. And it's going to come back that they sinned against me. He's a revealer of sin. Jesus with the woman at the well. Jesus with the Pharisees. Jesus with his cousins and others that wanted to hide from him. Jesus as the light of the world is a revealer of sin. Joseph in all of these things was foreshadowing what Christ would be. His own rejected him. He was rejected by effectively Israel, by his brothers. Jesus, we can say, was rejected by his own. Judah, it's very interesting. Who's the one who came up with the plan to sell Joseph for the money? Which brother? It was Judah. Judas, which is just a, a version of that name in Greek, was the one who sold Jesus into slavery. Both were sorely tempted. Joseph was able to, in this instance, abstain from temptation. Jesus, in all of his temptation, was perfect. And in that perfection, we're not lifted up, but then we're falsely accused. What Jesus was imprisoned for were false accusations. What Joseph was imprisoned for was a false accusation. The sixth one, very interesting and amazing how God does this. When Jesus was in captivity, we know that they were two named people without their names, but we know that there were two thieves who were given this whole story. There was one on the left and there was one on the right. There were two transgressors with him. He was named with the two. Here in the story, we have the chief cupbearer and we have the chief baker. Joseph was in this final story, had these two transgressors with him. In the seventh point, the same as Jesus, the one was going to be with him and the one was going to be healed and the one was going to be restored. God giving us a picture of there will be those, my chosen who come to me. 
And they will be those who do not believe and reject me, whom will have eternal punishment and will have death. The chief cupbearer was restored. The baker died. God continues to illuminate and show us how he is working. Do you think it's coincidence that Joseph's public ministry happened at the age of 30? At the age of 30, he was brought up. Jesus began his public ministry roughly the same age. He was testifying to the word that God had, and he was preparing his disciples and his captains. And he was preparing Egypt. He was preparing Israel for what was coming. Telling the story. What was their message? Both of them said, we have good right now. Take advantage of it. Pay attention. You have the Messiah with you right now. We have plenty right now. Store it up. There is coming a moment when this will change. There is coming a moment when the famine will come. Be ready. They were both giving a prophetic word of what was coming. Verse 10. I'm going to want us to read this. Point 10. Both of them were the only... If you're not going to write any of them down, this might be a good one. Both of them were the only means of salvation for both, for both the Hebrews, right, his brothers, ultimately, and the Gentiles. For Egypt, for Israel, and for all the people. Both of them were the only means. Let's look in verse 40. I'm going to read just a couple verses. Okay, we're in chapter 41. You shall be over all my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. This is Pharaoh speaking of Joseph. Only as regards to the throne will I, have, will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Go to verse 54. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the lands of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. They were done. They had nothing left. They cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says, you are to do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, over all the earth, all the earth came to Egypt, to, look at the verse there, look at the exact word, scripture doesn't do this accidentally, to Joseph. They didn't just come to Egypt, they came to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe and over, the, over all the earth. The entire earth had to come to Joseph. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Peter puts it for us excellent in Acts chapter 4. This idea, the world is open to coming to, to God. Somehow, some way. The world is less open to coming through God through Jesus, which is the only way. I'm open to coming to Egypt, per se, to get some food. I'm less open to going to this guy, Joseph. 
I want to come get it my way. Acts chapter 4. Let's start in verse 10. Peter's preaching, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the name specifically Jesus Christ of Nazareth, just like Joseph, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And here it is, a powerful verse. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. It is only in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. That's a good, that's our trying amen right there. There is no other name. You can only come through Jesus Christ. When we study the stories of Joseph, when we study the Old Testament, we study them for application because God gave us story, he gave us narrative, he gave us real life, he gave us hurt and pain and rejection and loneliness and fear and anxiety, all of it. We need to know how to deal with it. How do I deal with it, Lord, in a proper manner? What would a Christian psychologist say, i.e. the word? But we also need to know that Joseph, first and foremost, was pointing to the one and only. He was pointing very clearly and very, very specifically. We have to take a look at one other one. I said there's 11 points. There is the 11th point you know, for us. Let me just find it here. It's not in my notes. There it is. Verse 43. As they were riding up ahead, and he made him ride in the second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Everyone would have to bow before Joseph. Every one of these. And by the way, there's like a hundred more of these. But uh, Philippians chapter 2. Turn with me, if you will. At the time of exaltation, Jesus came in humiliation. He was beaten, he was rejected by his own, falsely accused, but that is for a time. And there will be the exaltation. Here is what the Apostle Paul, saying it out loud here, recording it for us through his spirit, verses 9 and 10. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, and is bestowed on him. So he's not going to be exalted, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What he is showing to us in Joseph and that every knee is bowing, he is showing to us a picture, a type, a foreshadowing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He wants us to have confidence that he's created out of life, innumerable stories, out of the trials that it is pointing to and foreshadowing. So when the time, when, when when the disciples finally came to faith, when the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, what did they do to confirm their faith? They remembered and they said, oh my goodness, remember Joseph, remember Moses, remember King David. Oh my goodness, what the Lord was showing us. If we ever doubt, God is showing us over and over and over and over. 
who our Messiah is. God is so good to us. It is important for us to know what he's doing and he's foreshadowing. And in conclusion, I want to hit this concept. We talk about foreshadowing, what he was doing in the life of Joseph. I want to talk about you and me. Is our life post-shadowing Christ? We now have, we have come to faith. We, those of us who accepted Jesus Christ, come to faith in looking back at his death and his resurrection. We are going to have trials in our lives. We will have the opportunities to live as Joseph lived. And in his going forward, God has now left his spirit and he's indwelling his believers to live like what? When we call ourselves Christians, we are basically saying what? What's the technical point? It is that we are little Christs, that we are little Christs, that we are his disciples, that we are following him, that our life is a shadow of his, that we live in like manner to him by his power in the same way, in the same manner. Peter knew this would be hard and he's speaking to a hurt and broken church. He knew this and he, in 1 Peter 4, this will be our last text. 1 Peter chapter 4, it's right towards the end of the Bible. Verses 12 through 19. A church that was in trial. When you're in my life is in trial, heavy trial. And we're unsure of the methods the Lord is using. We're unsure of the time. We're unsure if we can continue to persevere. Here's what the word was to the church, and I believe to you and me today. Beloved, speaking to the church, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. We've learned about that. That's called consequences. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. If God is allowing a trial in our life, let us not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Uh, Key verse for us is verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Whether we're in prison, let's do good. Whether we're in Potiphar's house, let's do good. Let us entrust our souls to a faithful creator who has a purpose for us, who has a complete plan, who understands this method that seems so obstinate to us and that the timing that seems so long, can we entrust it to a faithful creator? Because what do we know? That Jesus Christ who died is resurrected. That he is exalted He did it with Joseph. He did it with Jesus himself who willingly took upon himself. And he said for us, this time will end. Every believer will inherit the palace. This is a time of suffering. 
but that time will end. Friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ, it's very difficult to suffer through it. Those of us that we can accept him, he is offering his salvation, his grace, and his peace. My friends who know Jesus Christ, we can learn the application from Joseph's life, but let us understand that he is pointing to our Savior who saves us from all of our sin, not just our human trials and getting through it. He saves us from our suffering. That means we were destined for hell. We were completely lost. They had nothing. And Jesus Christ died, took that sin, resurrected again, left us here to be his witnesses into a fallen world, and our palace is waiting for us. It is finished, and we can have confidence in him. Let's pray together. God, we need your grace because we are so prone to forget that you have shown us all of this. We thank you, Lord, you've given us testimony. You've documented in your word. We thank you, you've given us time to look into your word. We ask, Lord, that the life of Joseph does not become a story, but becomes a beacon and a vision of you who are coming. And Lord, that the beacon and the vision that we can see and read the reality of your life, that you actually came, that you suffered, that you bled, and that you died for the sins of not your, all your brothers. That you revealed our sin, Lord, but you revealed it so that in repentance we could ask your forgiveness and that you could forgive in your power, in your glory, in your grace. And we, Lord, as a people, ask, Lord, that we are forgiven, that we stand in your grace. We ask, Lord, do with our life as you will. Lord, help us to believe in the trials. Help us believe there is a purpose in it, Lord that you are being glorified. Help us believe, Lord, that the method that seems to hurt and be so painful will bring glory to you. And Lord, let us have perseverance in the timing. When we don't feel we can go another day, let alone a week or a year or a decade, carry us. Lord, for your honor and for your glory, we ask that you do not ever let us go, but that we stand strong and bring glory to you so that many will ask us how and why, and we can say it's because of Jesus and his love for me. We are confidently praying, Lord, that this is your will, and therefore you will accomplish it through us. Amen.